that was nothing, just a little, uh, what, what was it the guy said today? It's just down the road from Chicago. And uh, I've had a, an awesome time. And uh, I thank you so much for it and for the uh, many, many kindnesses you showed me. And um, I enjoyed so much uh, being with uh, uh, the different ministries around and what they were doing and how exciting that was today, even to, uh, especially just to learn uh, some different things they were doing as well and um, how much I appreciated staying at the missionary house. It's really good. Uh, I appreciate that very much and uh, having a good time. Uh, so I do hope I'll get to come back sometime. I'm not quite sure how I can weasel my way back in, but uh, but I'll try to figure that out. And um, I called home today, visited with my dear wife, uh, whom I love dearly. We'll do 39 years this summer, and I'm uh, very grateful for that. Uh, somehow she misread the calendar and thought I was starting home today. And uh, so not only will I not be home next Wednesday for her, uh, but it will be another week after that. So she's uh, she's a little in the down. And uh, so uh, if you think about it, pray for her. I got a video today. I'll show it to you later. You have to see it or you won't go to heaven. And um, it's a video of my second grandson crawling, his first crawl. And uh, he's nine months old, and um, you must see it. And um, did I mention to you that you must see it? Yeah, okay. You, all right, good. You must, you must see it. Uh, scripture this evening is in the first letter of Peter. It's where I'll ask you to turn first, though the text is actually in the first chapter of the second letter. But uh, find First Peter, if you would, and uh, we'll give attention there this evening. Um, Thanks so much to everyone who helped, and to Greg, and Greg, Plan A and Plan B, and I appreciate so very much your your uh, confidence and faithfulness to God to call me. Appreciate it a bunch. I really do. Um, if you follow with me there in the very first verse of this letter, Peter, the apostle, the great apostle. And he wrote two letters to the Christians who were uh, from Jerusalem, but they had been exiled. This particular exile was a self-appointed, self-directed exile. Um, the first exile in uh, Judaism was at the hand of God for their not uh, crossing over the River Jordan and taking the promised land, and they spent 40 years in exile, an experience that was so difficult to even think about. They didn't have a particular word to talk about that particular exile, and it was not until um, it was not until uh, the Greeks began to translate the scriptures um, that they coined the word dispersion, and um, so that, that, but now this exile is a self-proclaimed exile. The first great bloodbath of the Christian church was when Caesar began to say, you must say Caesar is Lord. Now to the pagans, that wasn't a particular problem at all. We've, we've got a lot of gods. We just add you right in there. No problem. But for the Christian, of course, only Jesus is Lord. And so to, uh, to uh, prove his point and to uh, enforce his rule, his edict, um, he began uh, horrible 
um, persecution. And to fight that persecution, they began to flee. And we pick up letters, the letter then that's written to them and follow. I just have one verse I want to read here. To the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God and the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Christ Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. And those place names, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, if you followed them on, if you if you plotted them on your Bible maps, you would see they are probably 200 to 400 miles away from Jerusalem, which really is not that big. You can knock out 200 miles pretty easy, 400 miles pretty easy. But in this day and age, it may well have been the other side of the world. This is a group of people who now their world had been so upside down, they they were now saying, honey, pack your bags, we're going. I, I still am amazed at that story of Abraham, he said to his wife, now he was not here at this exile, of course, but I still am amazed that he said to his wife, we're leaving, pack your bags, put, put, put everything we've got on the backside of the donkey, we're going, where are we going? And he said... I'll tell you when we get there. Now, I don't know another man in the room who's married whose wife will buy that. We're, we're, I'll tell you when we get there. I, I can't even find the correct parking place in the parking lot. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's one over there. Oh, there's one over there closer. Over there. Finally, I just pull up at the front and put her out and say, I will catch you somewhere in the store. Well, it's not that bad, I don't guess. But to the exiles, he has written this letter. Now, I, I, I will get to the text, and I'm, actually I'm headed there. Turn to Second Peter now. But, but I just want to remind you that under the inspiration of the Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, and I don't know how your theory of inspiration works, and and this isn't really a this is certainly no presentation on inspiration, but but let it work for you. The Spirit inspired Peter to write two letters that we have, maybe more, but we have these two, to a group of people who have been exiled, who have chosen to walk away. And the Spirit knew that their life had been turned upside down. But smack dab in the middle of the turning upside down, they, they weren't cut any slack, so to speak. It wasn't like... Now, we do that. We, we say, oh, you're going through some hard times right now. Why don't you just wait? We, we would have, to, to the rich young ruler, and, and the Lord said, you've got to sell everything you've got and give to the poor, and the rich young man walked away. We, we, would have, we wouldn't have done what Jesus did. We would have chased after him. Okay, if you can't do everything, you can sell everything, then why don't you sell half of it? Let's work on half of it. Or let's work on 10%, and the next year 10%, the next year. And you can get in in 10 years. The Holy Spirit said to them these words. And I want to read them to you now. Second Peter chapter 1 and begin at verse 12. Therefore I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. 
though you know them already, and you are established in the truth that has come to you, I think it right as long as I am in this body to refresh your memory, since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made very clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now what I want to talk to you tonight about is uh, this subject. Spiritual value of remembering. The spiritual value of remembering. I don't really expect an amen right there. Some of us are kind of glad if we can remember anything. <laughs> of all the things I miss the most, my memory is one of them. The idea that there is value in remembering is uh, an obvious thing. I mean, my rememberer works and that's how I get home. There are things that I remember I wish I didn't. I'm glad that God forgives me and forgets what those are, would say to me, what are you talking about? He has separated my sin as far as the east is from the west. But I want tonight to talk about the spiritual value to you and the spiritual value to us for you to remember aloud. The spiritual value. Now we do lots of mem connecting spiritual things with memory. We, we want our children to memorize particular scriptures. We want to memorize particular scriptures. It's, a, it's following of the great Jewish tradition that began thousands of years ago. The Shema Israel here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And and they would they would pray that prayer at two specific times every day. And the last prayer they would pray with their children at night was this prayer. Uh, we read in the Psalms, um, I will. Uh, Meditate on your words. And we read about committing your words to our mind. And, and we, 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 have, we attempt to equate spirituality with memory. Memory work. But I want to talk about the value to you, a believer, to remember and to recount. We did a little bit of that in our singing, Grace, Marvelous Grace. Singing about what God has done in us. We're hoping, she was hoping, we're all hoping, the musicians, everybody here, we're hoping that the, the memories of God's grace would come forth to us. I, th I think about things, I'm not sure if you have it on this communion table or not. In remembrance of me. How, how, how much... How much spiritual meaning did Jesus pack into that phrase? That's not on there because the woodcarver had this idea. Amen. It's on there in just about every Protestant house. 
as often as you are together, as often as you do this, do this, what do you say? In remembrance of me. What, what memory, what value was he trying to pack into that phrase? Our testimonies are very helpful. Very helpful. I was moved by your testimony last night. And by what God has done. I was really moved when you fit in your pocket. You pulled out your 15 year coin. The reason you carry that coin, the reason people carry that coin is a remembrance of where they were and what God has done. It's not to say exactly that if we lost the coin, we wouldn't remember, but it is to suggest it is to our benefit and to our benefit spiritually. You want to grow in the spirit? Remember. You want to grow in the things of the Lord? Remember. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things, though you know them already, and are established in the truth. I think it right as I, as long as I am in this body to refresh your memory. Since I know my death will come soon, indeed the Lord Jesus Christ has made that very clear to me. And I will make every effort so that at my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. The translation of scripture called the message reads this way. Because the stakes are so high. That's how it starts. Because the stakes are so high and even though you're up to date. See this isn't a shame shame on you message. This is a message. Even though you're up to date. And though you practice it inside and out, I'm not going to let up for a minute, Peter said. Now, now let your theology of inspiration inform your mind now. The Spirit inspired Peter to say to a group of folk who practice it inside and out and who are up to date on all this truth, the Spirit said, I'm not going to let up for a minute in calling you attention before this. This is the post, Peter says, which I've been assigned, keeping you alert with frequent reminders, and I'm sticking to it as long as I live. I know that I'm to die soon. The Master has made it clear to me. And so I'm especially eager, as long as I have this down in black and white, that after I die, you'll have it for ready reference. Well, here are my three points. We can get the sermon over pretty quick if you want to. This is it. There is value in repetition. There is value in continual repetition. You mean I got to say that again? Yeah, yeah. Value in continual repetition. And repetition has as its goal establishing persons in the faith and in Christian maturity. Maybe I ought to ask you this question. 
Are you beyond the need to have your faith strengthened and increased? Surely you wouldn't say that you've be moved beyond the need for any improvement in Christ-likeness of character. I mean, you're not so perfect you can't get any perfecter. Are you? How do I strengthen you? I'm a guest preacher. How can I strengthen you? How can I add to your faith? Well, I guess I could try to teach you something brand new. What do you know? Well, let's see. What do I know that you don't know? What have I learned that you hadn't learned? I'll just whip that out of my briefcase and teach it to you. Then you'll know more. This text is saying something different. This text is saying, don't forget what you know now. And take time to say to each other what you know now. That'll strengthen you. That'll make you stronger. That'll help your faith. There is value in remembering purposeful repetition. I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. I think it right to refresh your memory, he says. I'll make every effort so that you will be able to recall these things. You know the old adage, some things are better left unsaid. It is of equal value, if not more so, that some things ought to be repeated. And it's found in the confession. The word confession for some of us is a, a hard word. Other Christian groups practice confession and we stumble with that and maybe so. But um, I'm not talking about that as much as using the word as a verb, confessing what I believe, confessing what God has done for me, confessing where I was and where I am. See, that message that I preached the other night, I can't remember, my remember doesn't work all the time on demand. <sighs> About your testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. Getting it down to eight words. Now, it will help us for you to say that, but it will help you to say that. It will help us to hear it, but it will help you to say it. It will help us to remember it, but... It'll help you even more to say it to other people and they stand on it. They hear it. You're standing on it. Peter is acting on the conviction by the Holy Spirit, the oomph of the Holy Spirit, that there is importance of going over and over and over again what God has done for you. Now I want to throw a word in. I'll get you to say it with me. Here it is. By the way, now you're going to have to say it out loud. And I'm watching. The word is specificity. 
<laughs> I thought I'd make you stand up and say it in front of us. Specificity, say it. Yeah, now some of you got your hands over your mouth. You're kind of trying to hide it. Yeah, yeah. I like the word specificity. One of the things I was trying to help us with, Mike concluded with the testimony sermon, was the business of being specific. And to be sure, one of the top ten books in my library that I really would not want you to take away from me is a book called Jerome Irving Rodale. It's a book called The Synonym Finder. Now, I guess finding synonyms is no exact science. Uh, there's no thing, I guess, truly as a synonym. I mean, a house is not a home, but they're pretty close. And not all men are gentlemen. You've met a few hooms. But I use the book because it helps me clarify the word. I don't know if you've noticed, but I try to find just the exact word. In fact, sometimes I'll take a word back that I've said because I know I didn't like that word. And I keep trying to find the exact word that has the kind of frequency and the connotation and the exact weight that I want it to give. I'm a kind of a word nut anyway. My family and others think I'm too much of a stickler for words. But I, I believe in the power of the right word. And you can get messed up if you're not careful. I called my daughter one time and I said, For Christmas, I want to buy your mother such and such a gift. And I know they happen to carry it at such and such a store. And down at the mall where we lived, about 15 miles from the house, I said, does that mall have one of those stores? And she said, yes, there is, name that store at that mall. She said, there's one of those down there at that mall. And so I drove down there, made the 15-mile drive. It's not that big of a drive, but still, I made the drive. Went down there, parked on one end of the mall. You know how men are. We just kind of cut our losses. And we're going to walk till we see the store. And I got to the whole end of the mall, other end of the mall, and it wasn't there. So I thought, well, somehow I missed it and walked back and missed it again. And so I thought, okay, I'll give it one more shot. And I walked the third time. I walked that mall three times before I looked at the map. Now, the women would have looked at the map. But when I finally looked at the map, I realized there is... No such store in that mall. I called Emily on the phone. I said, Emily, I'm at the mall. I have walked it three times. There's no store like that in the mall. She said, no, Dad, I didn't say it was in the mall. It was at the mall. I said, what? She said, yeah, if you go past the mall to the very next intersection, there's a red light. If you turn left, there's this row of shops, and there's one of those stores is in that row of shops. It's down at the mall. Not in the mall, see. So for Christmas, <laughs> I copied a page out of a book of one of my favorite books. And I took that copy out of the printer. And I had it mounted on a piece of cardboard and framed. And I gave it to Emily for a Christmas gift. And the picture was the geometric 
configuration of the Greek participle. Merry Christmas, Emily. Now you see, if you draw a circle on that page, and you're going to plot participles, you would plot the participle in inside the circle. You would plot the participle at outside the circle. Through would be a line through the circle. Let me see if you're with me. Where would on be? On would be inside? No. On would be on top. Where would the participle beside be? Where would the participle under be? It's a marvelous, a marvelous tool. And she got it for Christmas. I could care less. Did I mention to you I was a word nut? And that I think each word has a particular force, a particular weight, a particular connotation. In and at are not the same. Okay. For the noun form of the word repetition, Rodale list, iteration, reiteration, restatement, rehearsal, recitation, recapitulation, recapping, retelling, reproduction, recounting, duplication, reduplication, the same old story, saying the same thing time and time again. I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. I'm speaking to you now of articulating your faith for your emotional and spiritual precision specificity can you say it? Specificity. See, there's something to be gained here. Look at me. There's something to be gained here by repeating it here. I heard it again this way recently in an interview with a classical pianist. My wife is classically trained. About practice, he said, if I miss a day, just one day of practice, I notice the difference. If I miss two days, my wife notices the difference. If I miss practice three days, the public notices. I don't know how far you can go with that illustration. But I'm going to try it, and I may take it back. If you go one day without repeating, you're weaker. If you go two days without repeating, the person closest to you notices. If you go three days without repeating what God's done for you, 
the people outside won't tell any difference between you and anybody else. Now, I may take that back. If you don't like that illustration, I take it back. But this text is saying something to me like that. Now, you can figure out the numbers you want. One day, five days, ten days, one week, two weeks, three, three months. I, I don't care. But there is value to you in establishing your faith. There is value to me in hearing you repeat your faith. There is value to us all in building us up. If you have worked with precision, got the specificity down, this is what God has done for me. Rolls off your tongue. I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. The power of memory is huge in our spiritual life. Well, you know, I live in Chicago. My wife is the fifth of six children. They had four children pretty quick, then waited. It seemed like about six years, and Gwen surprised them. They didn't want Gwen to have to grow up by herself, so they had another child, a sixth child. And Gwen and Robin, Gwen's birthday is in November on the 6th. The next year in November on the 7th is her sister's birthday. And they have grown up like this. And I love that family. In fact, uh, her husband Joe and I are real close and he rode up to Nebraska to meet me and rode as far as, I don't know which way's west, but whatever. He rode, rode out to Twin Falls with me. And then he cut south and went home, got home this morning. We're just close buds. Gwen and I were going to see Joe and Robin out in Colorado Springs. It's 1,082 miles from my driveway to theirs. And so we started out. We got about 30 miles down the road. And Gwen said, um, she said, let's work on our memory. She said, what can you remember about? And she would name a subject. And I was aware that I now had 1,052 more miles to go of this game. <laughs> I thought, why don't you just take a nap? <laughs> And I'll put in my headphones. So we got to play this game. And I'm the dutiful husband. And I got to where I really enjoyed it. She'd say, she would say, what can you remember about? And I'd remember something. And then she'd say, well, I remember. And I had forgotten that. And now I had that in my memory about that. And, and what I found out was we, we'd stop for a break, fill the gas tank up, do what we needed to do, get back in the truck. And I'd say, well, let's do something more. Tell me, tell us, let's think about something else. I, I was excited about this. It was a very positive thing. More, more happens, I guess, the more you talk about it. And this text is saying something about 
what will happen. Look at me. What will happen here? That stuff with Gwen. It, it, it happened here. But it happened here. But this text is saying something will happen to you here and something will happen to me here when you remember. When you say it out loud. When you rehearse it. Pastor, it's not even in your toolkit. How can you get the church to move forward? Well, we have this plan, we have that plan, we have this seminar, we have another one. I'm, I'm offering one to you. Just pull it out of your tool bag sometime. Just have them remember. Just force them to remember. Forced memory. I want to know what God did in your life. Give me your testimony. You can talk a little bit about the test, but I want a lot of the money. My grandmother was an award-winning gardener most of her life. And towards the end of her life, she began to grow blind and finally was legally blind because her eyesight was so bad. But even when she was legally blind, she still was an award-winning gardener. How many times do you have to have your hands in the dirt to know that you need a little more water? How many times do you have to feel the petals of the flower to know? Because she can't see it now. She can't, she can't now say, need fertilizer here. She can't now say, the bugs are eating this up, we've got to get after it. She's got to feel her way along. How many times do you have to work with it here and here to be able to do it without your senses? My, uh, I mentioned to you that my wife, uh, is, did I mention that she's from Colorado? That's where the other daughter lives. My father, my grand, uh, my in-laws lived out there for years. Mom's gone. Dad died last year. Her dad. We'd gone out to see her mom one day and, um, she wasn't doing well. Surprised us all. We were out there for their big anniversary, and <clears throat> she went to the hospital. The doctor found some pretty bad reports, and within just a few months, she was gone. Bert is one of those guys. He's like a steel wool teddy bear. He talks tough, but he's a sissy, and he really loves her. And it was very hard for him, of course, that in the last few days when she came home from the hospital to, to die at home and he would call me on the phone now that's a huge honor for a son-in-law that the father the, the father-in-law would call you and he would call me crying and he would would talk about Pauline his beloved wife and the worst thing for him was that not only of course that she was dying but um, there in bed at the house um, she just didn't respond at all. 
And so she wasn't eating. She wasn't opening her eyes. She wasn't. She was just there. And he didn't know whether he was helping her at all. Was he comforting her? Was he? And it was killing him to not know. And he'd call me crying. <clears throat> I said to him, uh, Bert, I said, um, I, I've not ever gone through what you're going through, but uh, if, if I was there, this is what I would do. I, I, I would sing to her. He said, um, really? I said, yeah, I'd sing. You ought to sing to her. He said, I don't think I can sing. I'll just cry. I said, well, I understand that, but you might sing to her. People have told me that um, the people of God will respond to the songs of Zion when they will respond to nothing else. Now, I've not seen that, but I've heard it. In fact, after this service, I anticipate somebody will come to me and say, that happened to so-and-so. He said, well, I'll think about it. And he called me the next day. He said, I want to tell you what happened. I couldn't bring myself to sing. But I got a tape player. And I put a cassette in it of her favorite hymns. Of favorite hymns. She was a church pianist and a church organist for years. 30, 40 years. And so I put that in there. And when it got to her absolute favorite hymn, are you getting this? She sat up. And she turned and faced me. And she gave me that big smile. And she laid down. And was gone. And my last memory is of her smile. Now I'm asking you, how many times do you have to sing the songs of Zion that on your deathbed the memories arouse you from death's door? I don't know. Is it ten? Is it a hundred? How many times do you have to repeat? This text tells us something about the spiritual value of repetition. I wonder what would happen if we had a service of remembrance a service where people stood and gave public testimony of God's goodness and saving work in their lives. Oh, we remember the past, but you just had to kind of limit that. Like, I had a period of time that I was so confused, but God. I wonder how it would strengthen us. I wonder if it would increase our faith. I wonder if it would help our faith, if it would develop it. I, I wonder if we would see an increase in Christ's likeness. I mean, this text seems to be saying it. 
as long as I am alive. I know you already do this, and I know you've got it down. But I'm going to make every effort, he says. All for the glory of Christ. There is a value to remembering. And the value to saying it to each other. What would happen? One of these days, I'm going to have the nerve to pair the church up. You go there, you go here, you go there, you go here, you there. And you tell each other what God has done for you. But I don't have the nerve. But I believe it. There's value in repetition. Lord, you have given us a tremendous weekend. In some ways, I am like Peter, and I want to build a tabernacle and just enjoy this time forever. But I can't, and we've got to move on, and Monday's coming. Responsibilities at work, getting to the next place, all of that begins pretty quick. Thank you, Father, for what you've done this week, what you've done in our lives, what you have, uh, the way you have ministered to us. Help us to be disciples, followers, that are fruity. Men and women who have our testimony down, honed it down, found the specific words. I took the time to get it just to a certain effect. Remembering, don't let us forget the feeling of lostness and the feeling of helplessness and the feeling of guilt and shame that had come over us time and time and time again. As glad as we are for the peace and joy and forgiveness, remember, we pray, help us to remember what you have done, where you have brought us from. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.